This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Karen John-Francois, who is the Analytics Manager at Cardlytics. Um, so Karen, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Did I, did I get that pronunciation right? You did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, think, I think you saw the look of panic on my face as I was saying it. Oh, you're smirking. Um, so. I was smiling thinking, yes, that's right. That's me. <laughs> um, so where we always start, Karen, is be asking our, our guests to give themselves a, a you know, a brief um, intro into their background and I guess journey up until this point, because I can never do that justice. So um, if you'd be so kind. Yes, sure. So I'm Karen Jean-Francois, as you said, and I I guess I will go back to the beginning. Uh, I grew up on a small island in the Caribbean, so French island called Guadeloupe, and I moved to Paris to finish universities, basically. So I did two years university back home and then moved to Paris when I was about 19 um, to finish university but also I was doing athletics so it was a way for me to be closer to the French team to the competitions and and all these things Um, and in Paris I did the master's in applied statistics and mathematics and I started working in Paris with a company called ATOS I'm not sure if you know it it's like a service company and what I was doing there is I was working in a small part of the company that was doing something very interesting. Have you ever paid by check? Uh, a long time ago, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at that time in France, people were still paying quite a lot by check, although it was going down. And what we were doing really was, it was some kind of insurance for retailers and merchants and where everyone where you can go and make a purchase and you can pay by check so what we were doing was I don't know you would go to Ikea you would say I want to pay by check the um, cashier asks you to put your check in the machine and we have all these algorithms in the background calculating the propensity of a check to come back as unpaid or with a default or stolen or something like that and my role there was to build these models and optimize them so that's how I started and I think from that moment I really got obsessed with transactions and payments and and things like that Um, then a few years after that I moved to London and worked in a couple of creative agencies and now it's four years that 
four years and a half now that I'm at Cardlytics, um, working with payments again. <laughs> and I'm also producing the Women in Data podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very keen to kind of delve into your podcast endeavors and obviously the, the Women in Data initiative as a whole, because obviously that's a, um, you know, an initiative that I fully get behind and um, love the work that, that that you're doing over there. But I guess before we get to that point, tell us a little bit about Cardlytics as an organization for anyone that isn't familiar. Yeah, sure. So Cardlytics is, um, so it's a US-based company with, and well, US and UK. So the main part of the business is in the US and we are also operating in the UK. And what Cardlytics does is we act as an advertising platform between so retailers and adverti- and um, so advertisers and the banks. So we basically push cashback offers on bank digital channels. So let's imagine that you bank in the UK with Lloyds Bank. Uh, you would go on your mobile app or online banking, and we will say, oh, if you go shop at Sainsbury's, we will give you five percent or ten percent back on your on your bank account. So Cardlytics is the engine behind all that. Interesting. Okay, fine. And I guess where does your role sit within the organization? And I guess what have you, what have you been tasked with achieving? Yeah. So as I said, four years and a half at Cardi Six now, and my role has evolved quite a lot. Uh, I guess we're going to talk about that later on as well. But I joined Cardi Six as a senior analyst, and I am now an analytics manager. And while when joining, I was more on the advertiser side. Today. Most of my focus, I want to say 90% of my focus is on our um, publishers. So what we call publishers are the financial institutions we work with. So it's not just bank because we also work with open banking. And what I'm doing there is I'm helping our publishers understand the value of the program. So how the program can help them solve some of their business problems, how they can bring value to their customers through the program, so through relevant offers uh, and ensuring that customers are making the best out of the program because at the end of the day, you know, for the customer, so for the publisher's customer, it's very interesting because you're just getting money for spending in places, right? So trying to make them aware of that, um, leading on projects such as segmentations, but also helping the publishers run things such as welcome offers and things like that. So that's what I'm doing there. And I'm also leading a small team um, and helping people grow in their role. That's what I'm doing at Cardi6, yeah. Nice, nice. And and I think obviously when, when we spoke offline around, you know, the type of topic, let's say, around what we wanted to speak about today, I was... Um, you're quite overwhelmed really by your story. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that because I think there's a there's a, a, a number of great messages in there. Um, but before we do that, let's jump into the Women in Data stuff. So obviously you're, you're part of that initiative. You host the Women in Data podcast. Tell us a bit about that and I guess how you got involved and ultimately why, why you decided to be involved. Yeah, so definitely related to my story, which we are going to talk about at some point. Uh, but I guess, you know, when we, so several reasons for the podcast, but one of them is 
I believe that there is a massive lack of transparency, but also of guidance in the field. Uh, and that comes from the fact that it's so new, so new slash old, because it's not that new, but things are changing so far that it feels like it's very new. But if you take the example of a teacher, we all know what a teacher does. So if you're a teacher, you know you're going to teach a specific subject. Or if you're a primary school teacher, you're going to teach different subjects, but you will have a program. When you work in data, you don't have that. So you can go from one company. If you're a data analyst, you can be a data analyst at one company and do something completely different from a data analyst at a different company. And that creates uh, a gap between roles and sometimes some misunderstanding between analysts, data scientists, engineers, and, and all these things. And although we talk more and more about careers in data and there are more people wanting to be in data, I'm sure you've seen that as well, there, there is this still this thing where roles are not defined and people can get a bit lost sometimes. So not everybody, because we're all different, but it happens very often that people are a bit lost, as in they don't know where they want to go, what they're meant to do, and all these things. Um, so I've seen people transitioning into the field, struggling with that. I've seen people who are already into the field, struggling with finding their space and finding their voice. So this is something that happened to me, sitting in a room in front of the computers with your team and thinking, what am I doing here, actually? And some of my friends even dropped out of the field and I almost did myself. And I think it's a shame because data is beautiful, especially transactional data. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think there is a space for everybody. So this is one of the main reasons why I'm running the Women in Data podcast, but also to shed some light on amazing women who work in, in the field. Yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think you're so right in, in what you said in terms of, you know, job titles and job roles are so undefined in our industry. It's, it's a real problem, obviously on my side of the desk, um, you know, you go and speak to, four or five organizations who are looking for the same job title. They want four or five different things, different types of people, different background, different skill sets, different experiences. So um, it's totally, you know, I totally understand why people can feel lost and especially people who are early on in that journey, you know, trying to figure out actually what do these companies actually want? Because it's a, a whole host of mixed messages and mixed signals. Right. So, and completely get what you're saying, you know, data's data's, you know, for want of a better word, but it's it's sexy, right? You know, every business now is every business is doing it. Every business is talking about it. Every business is talking about the value that they they're going to get from it. But the context in which they operate is completely different. So you know, it's no wonder that people people struggle. So it's really good that you're raising awareness through the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you're talking about the context being different, this is something else. So. As an analyst, you know, sometimes we use different techniques or similar to do similar things and sharing this knowledge of this is how I'm doing things and I have this problem and this is how I approached it uh, is very important because it could help someone who is struggling to complete a project or he's looking for something better to, well, I guess to perform better in their role, but also with, you know, all the challenges that surround careers. So, I mean, 
in any career, there are going to be challenges. So seeing people talking about how they overcame challenges in their career, being on technical or leadership or just as being a professional as well. And I think sharing all this is very important. And basically when I started going to Women in Data event, what I found really impressive and I loved it how open everybody is and how they're open to sharing their tips and um, their career story and all these things and I just wanted to take all that and put it somewhere where others can can access it without having to go to an event really yeah yeah no that makes um that makes perfect sense so I'm keen to jump into your story and some of the struggles for want of a better word that you went through and kind of how you overcome some of those experiences but I guess last thing before we do that 20 in data and technology 2020 tell us about that how you been ranked in that what does that process look like this is something I don't actually quite believe yet (laughs) (laughs) I haven't processed the information Um, So every year, Women in Data have this award where members of the community nominate people, so nominate women who they see as role models for future generations or role models to themselves. And I was fortunate, very fortunate to be one of the 20 in data and technology for 2020. And why I'm saying I don't quite believe it yet, it's because in 2019, I I was volunteering at the big event for women in data. So they had this massive conference at the O2. And I remember being at the back of the room when they were announcing the 20 in data. And I was thinking, oh, I wish I I was there and I would love to be one of them one day. And then one year after, I get a call from Roisin, who is telling me, hey, Karen, you've been nominated and actually you've been selected. And I was thinking, really? Oh. <laughs> I mean, poor Roisin, I probably hanged up on her being like, this is not <laughs> happening. <laughs> but yeah, this is something that I find very important because once um, my CEO, who is a woman, came to the UK and said, you know, if you can't, can't see yourself in the seat of anyone around you in the company, it means you're in the wrong company. And that sent me in a panic um, moment where I was thinking, oh my God, I don't look like anyone here. Um, I don't work the same way as anyone here. I'm completely different. Should I change company? And I realized after a while that it's just, you know, People are different. Everybody is different. And I was maybe missing a bit these role models that looked a bit more like me. So I do believe that the 20 data is very important for, for this perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, massive congratulations on being um, being included in, in, in that. So let's. I want to try and break your story down. And I think for people, I mean, I think we spoke about offline, right? I'm involved in a number of university programs and initiatives that help get students into work placements in commercial businesses within the world of data and analytics. So I'm I'm equally passionate about trying to give people the opportunity. And I think that's only fair given, you know, the 
talent shortage that we have at that <laughs> mid to senior level. You know, something needs to happen. We need to get more people into our industry to, to kind of um, ease that pain, so to speak. Obviously, your background in athletics interests me as a um, former athlete. Um, I'll say that very loosely. Um, I played I played football a few times, um, but um, um, you know your your background in athletics, and then ended up in the world of data. Talk us through that kind of transition and how that occurred. Yeah, that was very very random. Uh, <laughs> I guess most people who are in data nowadays, it have happened very randomly. So as I mentioned earlier, I moved from Guadeloupe to Paris to be closer to the team because in Guadeloupe, there, there is a lot, there are a lot of athletes. I mean, we know a lot of very well-known athletes coming from Guadeloupe, but because I was doing 100 meters hurdles, I was the only one running in Guadeloupe, not the only one, but it wasn't that many people. So being in Paris meant that it was better for me to compete and progress and get access to these competitions that were higher level and um, eventually get me to the European Championships. So I did two European Championships with the French team. And uh, yeah, (laughs) that, that was epic. And I was actually doing that. So training for the European Championships while studying um, at university and so in front, it's a bit of a different system. Bachelor's degree is three years and master's degree is two years. And I finished my bachelor's degree. That was, if I remember well, similar year as um, European Championships. And it was really hard. So first I was juggling with, you know, not being around my family. So my family being in the Caribbean, me being in Europe. So being not by myself in Paris, because I do have a bit of family there and some friends as well, but I was very remote from everybody. And I was studying, training 12 hours a week, competing on weekends and all these things. It was hard. And I did not think that I would graduate from my from my bachelor's. Turns out I did. <laughs> I don't know how I managed that, how I pulled it off, but I had no plan for the rest. So I had no clue what I was going to do, what I was going to study next. And I just went to the, um, the head of the bachelor's degree and I told her, you know, I would like to do a master's, but I'm not sure what to do because I still have athletics, which is taking quite a lot of time. And I did. I thought I was going to have to do the year again. <laughs> and she told me, Karen, you are brilliant at probability and statistics. There is this master's in applied statistics. I think this is where you should go. And this is how I got into data. And I loved it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Fine. Makes, makes sense. And then from there, talk, talk to me about the transition then into the commercial world and obviously moving away from you know, running very fast and jumping over hurdles to being sat behind a desk in a team doing statistics, basically. Yeah, that that was a journey. Thankfully, my my master's was a master's where half of the year you were at university and the other half of the year you were in a placement. And that meant that I could have an introduction to the working environment and what it meant to be working in data Kind of, I want to say, because not fully (laughs) um, that way. 
And it it became even harder, you know, when I was working because I had to go all the way to the center of Paris and then come back, run to go to the track and practice. And I definitely had a gigantic burnout at some point, which led to me stopping athletics because I just couldn't see how I could do both at the same time. And thinking back on it, this is not something I regret because I made the decision for a reason. It was the best thing to do for me at that time. But thinking back, you know, it's again this thing of lack of role model, the the support network. I was very young. I was alone in Paris and I was not mature enough to realize that maybe I should just change training group or change coach or do something a bit different, you know, when there are other people who can support me. But that was in the past. Uh, I still go over hurdles from time to time because I love it and it's a part of me that will never go away. Uh, but then that allowed me also to really focus on my career and trying to figure out what it means to work in data, what is data, and also move to London. Because when I said being at university and also working um, the other half of the year meant that I had an introduction of data analytics and I said, kind of, until my master's, I thought working in data meant that you were a credit risk analyst, basically, (laughs) or a consultant for a bank. And it, it took a while to understand, hey, Karen, there are other roles out there. And that's how that happened, I guess, when I moved to London and I discovered everything that is creative agencies and all the other things. And I started really networking, which is something I was not doing before. I was quite an introvert and happy to be in my corner. Um, And that really opened to a completely different world. And I guess with the podcast, I'm trying to do that as well. So show that there is not just what you're seeing at your company, there is other things. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes makes perfect sense. So obviously you land at Cardlytics four and a half years ago now. Obviously, you know, you're involved with women in data. So diversity is, you know, big on the agenda. It's, I mean, it's big on the agenda of every C-suite at, right, at the moment and, and very rightly so. But talk us through your experience because I know that that's played a huge part in your story right in terms of you kind of crafting that career path that you've ultimately led yeah so you know when we say sometimes we have life-changing experiences I had quite a few so first one being moving from the Caribbean to Paris and having a cultural shock Uh, but one of them is definitely joining Carlytics so when I joined, our head of UK analytics told me, Karen, you are going to be the only woman in the team. Is that a problem? And I said, no. I mean, why would that be a problem? I, I don't see why. I mean, I studied mathematics. Um, I've done athletics. I've, I'm used to be the only woman around or one of very few. And it was an issue. <laughs> um, now I'm, I'm very happy to say that it's 50-50. So with 50% women in the team, but it took a while to get there. And I had uh, a massive imposter syndrome really joining the team. And the first few months were very difficult because as I said, I'm an introvert. Um, Most of my team is not, and we are in analytics, but quite a commercial role. So there is a lot of presentation going on, talking to clients and talking to stakeholders and helping them understand how 
analytics can help them and how the program is performing. And I was struggling with that part and I was struggling to really embrace the role. Um, so the commercial side of things, but also the technical side of things. So I did not grow up with a computer. So as I said, I discovered data for my master's. And the first time I actually had a computer that was my computer, a computer I had at home, I was 18, 17, 18. So playing video games, all these things, you know, in analytics and data science, you will find a lot of people who have been programming for a while and that was not me. And looking at how they interact with each other, how they talk about things, all the things they knew, I felt like this was not where I was meant to be. I felt like I wasn't good enough to be there and I should run away. So one day I woke up and I decided I love baking uh, and I tend to go, you know, I I tend to go for a passion. So data is a passion. Baking is a passion. Athletics is a passion. And so I said, oh, okay, I'm going to try to see if being a pastry chef is something I'm going to enjoy. So I walked in the bakery on a Saturday, you know, in the patisserie on a Saturday, and I said, hey, can I see the chef? And this only happens in London. I'm pretty sure I had done that in Paris. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, so I went there and I told him, oh, can I come work with you on Saturday? See if this is something I would like doing. And he said, yes, it was okay. So for, I think it was about three, four months, I was waking up at 4 a.m. on Saturdays after having worked the whole week. And I was going to the to the bakery and I was glazing tart, making genoise, slicing cakes, doing all these things and learning from all the chefs. That It was, it was an experience, uh, but I'm glad I didn't stay and I actually stayed into data. Uh, I Well, I did definitely upskill my patisserie techniques and my cakes, <laughs> my cakes are better, but data is definitely where I belong. And I think, you know, the women in data community, but also being with finding role models and mentors and coaches, something that really helped me get out of these these limiting self-beliefs, I want to say, because no one told me, Karen, you are not good enough. It was all in my head. And because it, I was seeing myself this way, it meant maybe others were seeing me this way as well. So it meant I wasn't put forward for promotions and I was seeing others being promoted before me. And I was thinking, yes, but I'm doing great work. Everybody agreed that my work is great. But then I didn't feel, you know, like I was owning the role. And as soon as I changed the way I was seeing myself, thanks to people who are internal to colleagues who helped me. So I had uh, Lucy from the sales team and she's actually VP for um, the retail partners. She helped me a lot. And also I had Victoria from the Women in Data community that supported me a lot. And from that I, I changed completely what I was doing, how I was doing things. And instead of focusing on my weaknesses, I want to say I just turned it around and started focusing on my strongest point. So where I was different from the other members of the team that, you know, being a data analyst, there is not one way to be a data analyst. So understanding that, embracing that and being the data analyst I wanted to be made such a massive difference. Uh, promotion came quickly after that. And, and now I don't feel like an imposter anymore. It's such a powerful message. Um, and 
I can't wait for people to hear this, Karen. There's, there's a few things in there that I really want to pick out um, and I'll just go in order of how you've said them. But first of all, I mean, I, I sit and I live and breathe this every day, right? Organizations are looking for people and they trust me and our business to go and find them. And a lot of that conversation, as you'll be very well aware, is, you know, my, my opinion is that one of the biggest flaws our industry has is that we focus too much on the technical stuff. You know, look at any job description. It's just a list of technologies, often very exhaustive um, and, you know, very extensive and, X amount of years in this and this and this and this. And you look at that and you, and I think it's no wonder people are put off by, by that. Um, yeah. So first of all, it's great that you can sit there and say, well, look, I've had a very successful career. I'm on an upward trajectory. Um, and, you know, I didn't touch a computer till I was 17, 18 years old. So I've not been programming since I was eight, you know, like some people that you, that you see, right. The second part is around that commerciality, because I think there's a lot of talk about this in the industry at the moment, and very rightly so, in my opinion. But I think it, it, it's it's one of them things that's spoken about, but it's very hard to actually tackle when you're at that level of your career, right? So we hear often about, yeah, it's great. Someone can be the best programmer, the best modeler, the best dashboard builder, whatever we want to, yeah, example we want to use, but it's the commercial piece that's missing. It's their ability to translate or engage with stakeholders or, you know, C-suite executives. It's their inability to tell stories or influence and all of that type of stuff that's very important. So again, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you're able to sit here and share that story and say, you know, technically I didn't feel I was the strongest and commercially I was really struggling because I've no doubt there's thousands of people across the country that will listen to this that probably feel exactly the same. Yeah. How did you go about changing that mindset? I know that you said you got support and, and obviously that's uh, been a, a theme throughout what we've spoken about here for the first kind of 30 minutes or so around, you know, finding role models and finding support networks and people that can kind of, you know, push you along that journey a little bit. But in terms of, you know, having that imposter syndrome, I guess, when did you recognize yourself that, hang on a minute, I've got imposter syndrome here. Or was it someone outside of you that kind of said, no, no, you know, and kind of guided you to, to that? Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think, you know, this, the imposter syndrome is like a dirty secret. So when we have it, we tend not to talk about it. And that's the first mistake. I think when we feel inadequate, we should totally openly talk about it because someone else will feel inadequate and research actually shows that about 70% of people experience imposter syndrome at least once in their life and that touches both men and women so it's not something that is specific to women everybody can experience it and how I found out that this is what was happening is that I had this very big doubt around. I was thinking I'm not good enough. I need to leave. But on the other end, I was like, but, you know, I like it. And maybe it's a big mistake. So having these conflicting feelings was really made me pause and reflect. And this is how it came to me. And there is a book that definitely helps me put a, a word on it because imposter syndrome. I had no clue about that. I did did not know what it was. And it's the book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women by Valerie Young. Mm -hmm. And 
it says of successful women, but it, again, anyone can read it. It's a bit long, so if you want to to read it, may, maybe go for the audio version. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god, such a game changer! Uh, she in that book basically she explains the different types of imposter because there is not one type of imposter. So she defines five different types. Um, one being the expert and in analytics and in data, we're definitely expert. There was one, I can't remember all of them. That was a while ago, if I'm honest, but I remember feeling like I was identifying to two of these types and really digging into this, what it meant, how it translated in my life. Uh, she's also looking into helping you reflect on where did that come from? Uh, so it's not just, you know, imposter syndrome is not something that was born now when you feel it it's something that you grew up with different things happened in your life and that resulted in that uh, so at Cardlytics, I was the peak but things started way before that way before I moved to London uh, and those of things contribute to that so that book was very very helpful and she also gives you some tips to overcome these things so that's that was the base. And from reading that already, I was feeling a bit better because I could put a word on what my problem was. It was not me, the problem. It was not that I wasn't good enough. It was that I was feeling like I wasn't good enough. Um, And then the next step was really being open about it, talking to people, uh, sharing experiences, because there are other people who experience it, talking to them about how they overcame it, and how you can actually apply maybe their learnings to to your life and to your journey is very, very important. So I guess you're not going to, if you feel like an imposter, you're not going to, it's not going to magically disappear. (laughs) I, I would say that you really have to talk about it and then get the help you need and the support you need. And also have this honest conversation with yourself, understand where it's coming from and just go, you know, have this self-reflection and understand how you can overcome these things. What are your blockers? What limiting beliefs are are stopping you? My limiting beliefs are, I am crap at technology and I am in a high-tech job. So how do I deal with that? Um, All these kind of things. So which is very, very important. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess in terms of advice, if there's people out there that feel like this, you know, and and your your self-reflection process makes absolute sense, right? You know, you you can't fix what you haven't diagnosed yet, right? So you 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 went through that process of okay, this is what I think I'm feeling and, and what I have. Um did you did you speak to people internally in turn because I, I get I get the you know just thinking out loud here but if people are feeling like that probably the last person they want to speak to about that is their boss right <laughs> right you know because it's kind of like a, an a admission of weakness or that's how they would perceive that they will perceive it if that makes sense you know and that's obviously not the case we know that but how, who did you go and speak to first how did you you know get a, get through that kind of time? Yeah. So firstly, I'm an introvert. So the first person I spoke about <laughs> about it with was myself. This probably <laughs> sounds very weird, 
but this is what happened. Uh, and then I started doing my research and I was in my own world, in my own head, doing this and having these conversations with myself. Then I started reaching out to, I think the first person I spoke to about it was Helen Hunter from Sainsbury's. And it was just after a conference, she had spoken, I can't remember exactly what she was talking about at the conference, but I felt like I could talk to her about that. And she invited me for a coffee chat. So we had a coffee at Sainsbury's and I was like, oh, <laughs> I feel great now. I'm talking to <laughs> Helen Hunter. <laughs> and uh, she, she gave me a few tips, which I then reflected on. And she put me in touch with Victoria Pike, who was a, a co-worker of her and who had just moved to a different company. And she's now back at Sainsbury's. And Victoria is the one who helped me a lot. And through talking to Victoria, I realized also internally at Cardiff 6, there were people not in my team because I was not feeling comfortable talking about it with my team, uh, but people in the senior leadership team. I mean, Cardiff 6 in the UK is quite small. It's about 70 of us. So it's easy to access um, the senior managers and the senior leaders. So I approached Lucy, who is in the senior leadership team, and she helped me because she is commercial. She helped me with, you know, feeling more comfortable talking with people and understanding my what I'm worth in the team. So, yes, I'm not as technical, but I'm still technical. And what I know technically is good for my role. And how can I shift things and move more towards a leadership position than a deep technical position. And this was really what I, I needed. So I still was able to speak internally. It was not my, it was not the first idea I had, but I know there are a lot of leaders listening to your podcast. And what I want to say is that imposter syndrome is not a weakness. It's something that happens to all of us. And it is basically limiting your employees to be the best uh, person they can be. And even yourself, maybe, <laughs> maybe. And it's important that we all work towards building this company culture where it is okay to talk about these kind of things because it is going to benefit the whole business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, I, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say there's been plenty of occasions in my career where I've kind of been sat there thinking, why the hell am I in this room? You know, <laughs> to, to be honest with you. Um, but I guess, you know, that comes from working for organisations that trust in your ability. But I think what I really loved there, Karen, from your message was it's, you know, the, the identification or self-diagnosis of, okay, this is, you know, this is a, a problem that's in my head it's not a problem that exists really um that's one thing right but then there's another piece of that which means okay well who do i speak to to a obviously you know get comfort from in terms of okay you know you're not alone and all of that type of stuff but then b making a plan around how you go around i guess getting yourself into a situation that allows you to feel more comfortable. Cause I guess just diagnosing yourself doesn't really help the issue, right? There needs to be some action out of the other yeah. side of it to say, right. Okay. Well, this is how I'm feeling, but I need to do something about it. So, you know, in your instance, go and speaking to, to Lucy who taught, you know, helped you 
with more of the commercial piece that you felt that you were struggling with and, you know, then helped you transition into a role that you felt more comfortable with away from some of the deeper technology stuff, which is a great message, right? Because there'll be a lot of people out there that probably feel it, can probably self-diagnose it, but then don't really know what to do, right? But I think the point is that you need to do something. You can't just sit there and, you know, yeah, definitely. Otherwise, nothing is going to change. But, you know, when we say the problem is in your head, that there is also, so on my end, there was also an upskilling part. So really focusing on communication was not a thing for me. Uh, so putting myself forward to talk more, uh, spend more time in meetings and also doing a podcast <laughs> was, was part of my learning, really. So I guess... Yes, talking to people, but also knowing that you're going to have to learn new skills as well. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So obviously, uh, and I think that's where you know the your your kind of the, the topic of today has come from, right? You know, you you identified a, a problem that that you felt that you had, and you've you know gone about crafting your own career path to help you alleviate that problem to a certain extent. Talk me through very quickly that journey from being an introvert with imposter syndrome to now being, you know, um, 20 in data and technology for 2020, hosting your own podcast because you sit here and say, you know, the the commercial, the, the communication stuff wasn't a thing for me. And there's so many people out there that feel exactly the same way. Um, so talk to me about what that journey looked like. And, you know, you've gone from imposter syndrome introvert to podcast host, right? Which are probably two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and But what's that done for your career in terms of upskilling yourself in the areas that you, you know, were causing you to feel that imposter syndrome? Yeah. Um, so I before I get to that, I want to say that in data science and data analytics, we are in a unique position to make our career what we want it to be. Uh, because as we said before, roles are not that defined yet. So this is our moment to actually do whatever we want to do. And the only thing is to find out what we want to do. <laughs> so it started with that. It started with, I thought, you know, being a data analyst meant one thing. And then I started thinking, okay, but in the end, what does it mean for me? Um, what does it mean to be a data professional? And once I had this definition, so what is my definition? I started looking down and thinking, you know, okay, so I know the goal. How do I go to get there? So what are the skills that I need? How do I, what are the skills that I have today? How do I play by them to make sure that I can get there? What do I have to add to my skill tool? Um, to how do you say that in English? <laughs> toolkit. How yeah. do, what do I have to add yeah. to my toolkit? And um, so it was again. I, I reflect a lot. Uh, this is something I love. So having all these reflection and creating my path from that. So I reflect a lot. I am also a planning freak, so I spend a lot of time. <laughs> planning and then following my plans to, to get to places and so it this is what helped me and I I guess with the podcast I, I saw that as an opportunity first of all 
I had so much help from the community uh, in overcoming my imposter syndrome and feeling better about myself that I wanted to give back. I was I thought there are other people like me that need the help, that need something. And it's not going to be the same problem as, as mine. So I, I get very, as I said, passion is something that drives me quite a lot. So if I have an idea that I feel strongly about, there is nothing that's going to take me away from it. So communication being an issue because I like to be in my corner, I said, this is more important. Um, I want to talk to people and I want them to tell their stories so that others can benefit from it. Uh, on the other hand, um, I like to be in my corner, but I also like to talk. So when I'm at home with my family, I never shut up. So you can ask my dad and my mom, they will tell you. <laughs> so I guess that that helps a bit. It's just, you know, feeling comfortable enough with strangers, people I don't know, people I've never met before. Um, even with my team, because we were working together, but I was putting barriers. So feeling comfortable enough, speaking up and all these things was it was a lot of, you know, practice make perfect. And I'm not so much of a believer of fake it till you make it because it's really hard. I'm a very honest person and I don't want to be someone I am not. And it, it was a lot of, okay, I have to work towards that, towards becoming that person rather than pretending to be that person that I'm not today. So it might have taken a bit longer than it would take to someone else but I, I did get there eventually yeah yeah absolutely well look Karen th- thank you so much for for coming on and I think you know you've been so honest so humble there's going to be so many people so so many people get so much out of this so we really appreciate your time if people want to reach out to you if there's anything that they've heard today um and obviously i know what your answer is going to be but um I, I think first of all you know i'm sure you're open to people reaching out and, and if so what's the best way for them to do that yeah linkedin is definitely the best way um i i try to check it at least once a day and answer messages and requests so you can reach out there yep nice and for anyone that wants to get their hands on your podcast what's the best way for them to find that yeah so it's the women in data podcast you can find it on the women in data's page but also on spotify and apple Podcasts. so it's the one with the red logo <laughs> yeah perfect well karen thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure um and whenever i'm next in your neck of the woods i'll have to take you up on some of those pastries that you're uh, so, so, <laughs> so good at making I would be happy to be so. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Karen, thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.